Pastors Michael and Brenda Brunzo welcome you and thank you for listening to the following message. This message was recorded during a regular service at Faith Fellowship Church. The Bible tells us in Romans 10, 17, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. So we believe this message will encourage and strengthen you in your daily walk of faith. God bless you as you listen. Live. I'm Pastor Mike Brunzo with Faith Fellowship Church, and I'm coming to you this evening with a continuation of our study on righteousness. If you have your Bible with you tonight, turn with me to Genesis, the first chapter, and the 26th verse, and we'll have a little bit of review before we begin. But before we start, let's pray. Father, we thank you and praise you for your goodness, mercy, and your grace. We thank you, Father, for the wonderful written word. We thank you, Father, that you have a word for us tonight, a revelation from you. And we thank you, Holy Spirit, for being with us tonight to lead us and guide us into all truth, to illuminate the word and give us revelation and understanding. We thank you and we praise you for it in advance in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Genesis 126. Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them, his created man, have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So man was created from the dust of the earth, from the clay, from the dirt, and God named him Adam. And it's an interesting name because it comes from a Hebrew word, Adamos. And that means earth, man, soil, light brown. But it came from a root word, called Adama, which means red earth or ground. It means earthy. So he was just a lump of clay until God breathed in him the breath of life, and that's when he was created and he became a living soul. And before that, he was just a form, a lump of clay. But now he's a creation, a living, breathing being made in the image and likeness of God. Our good friend, Pastor Flint Council in uh, Freeport, Illinois, has True Vine Worship Center in Freeport, Illinois. He lives in Madison, Wisconsin, but I was watching him last week as he was teaching on the subject of the realm of the spirit. And he said something that really alerted my spirit and opened my eyes to a few things that I hadn't seen before. When he spoke about God breathing life into Adam, he said God was a spirit, and he started his teaching along them lines that uh, God is a spirit and we must worship him in spirit and in truth. And I always knew God was a spirit, but when I read the passage about him breathing life into Adam, I just have this picture of God kneeling down in the sand in the form of a man and breathing into Adam's mouth like one would resuscitate somebody that was passed out or, or somebody that had just drowned or something, sort of like mouth-to-mouth -mouth resuscitation. And this is the way I visioned it. But Pastor Flint said it was actually God's spirit 
that went into Adam. It wasn't just breath. It was God's spirit. And when it did, it brought light. It brought life to Adam's spirit. And he became a living soul in perfect harmony and complete union with God in every sense. Spirit, soul, and body. And when you consider that the soul consists of the mind, the will, and the emotions, it makes perfect sense. I have understanding now that I didn't have before, and that is the fact that every part of man's being came into line with God's spirit, and they were in harmony, and they were complete, and they were in perfect union with one another. Psalms 104.30 in the Amplified Classified says, When you send forth your spirit and give them breath, they are created, and you replenish the face of the ground. So we know it was by divine counsel of the Father, the Word, and the Holy Spirit that they decided to create man in their image and in their likeness. And I say divine counsel because he said, let us make man in our image and according to our likeness. He didn't say let me. So they were in divine counsel. They had a, a meeting and they decided uniformly to create man. And man was going to be the crowning glory of God's creation. Uh, God created everything that was to be created, but man was his highest creation. And he gave man rulership and dominion over the entire earth, the entire universe, and also everything that lived on the earth, walked on the earth, crawled on the earth, flew in the air, swam in the sea. He gave man dominion over all these things, and he made man smarter than they were. But man is a creation of God, and we have to understand this. He didn't crawl out of the sea, and he didn't evolve, evolve from a monkey or a chimpanzee or an ape. The Bible says we were made in the image and likeness of God. God's not a monkey, and he's nothing that came out of the sea. But let's take a little side journey here. Let's talk about the theory of evolution for a minute. And the first thing we need to notice is although it's being taught in our schools as though it is a truth and a fact, it is a theory. And I like the way Brother Kenneth uh, E. Hagen defined that word theory. He said a theory is the skin of a reason stuffed with a lie based upon the supposition that the author doesn't have any knowledge of the subject and he don't know what he's talking about. I think you can look up theory in the dictionary. It won't say that, but I think that's the best definition I've ever heard. And that's exactly what Darwin's theory is, uh, his theory of evolution. And modern evolutionists have been looking for a missing link for hundreds of years. Well, I have a question. Why are they looking for a link when they don't even have a chain? What good is a link going to do without the chain? It's not the link that they need. They first need to find the chain and then find the link that's missing. The theory has never been proven and it never will be. And that's why they come up with this other theory that there's a missing link so that they can keep this lie alive. But now that we have that nonsense of evolution out of the way, we're going to answer that old age question. What came first, the chicken or the egg? And we first have to understand how the earth was created. 
And because in, in order to understand what came first, the chicken or the egg, we need to understand all of creation, everything that was created. But before we do, we're going to look at another theory, another skin of a reason stuffed with a lie based upon the supposition that the author doesn't know what he's talking about. And that's called the Big Bang Theory. And this is a scientist's explanation of, of how the universe began. I can't even teach this with a straight face. But listen, in its simplest form, it says the universe as we know it started with a small singularity, an explosion of some kind, hence the Big Bang. And then it inflated over the next 13.8 billion years to the cosmos that we know today. I'm telling you, it's hard to even say that with a straight face, but... In other words, there was this gigantic explosion, this big bang in outer space, and that's what formed the universe, and then it just evolved from there. Now, we're talking about a universe that is in perfect harmony, perfect unity, and at one with the Father, because he's the one that created it. But let's just talk about our solar system for a second. Every planet the, uh, the sun, the moon, the stars, everything plays a part in this universe of ours, this solar system of ours where planet Earth is located. And, and you know, everything has an uh, evolution, everything has a revolution, and uh, it, it moves in, a, in a, a specific pattern. And I'm told that if, if one of those things just moved one second or lost 10 miles an hour in speed, that this whole universe would be sucked into the sun. Now, I don't, I don't see how we can even imagine how something like that was created with a big bang and just came into being by itself. I mean, it's ridiculous in itself. I don't believe the big bang's theory. I think it's a big lie. But anyway, I thought I'd give it some just credence. And so I, I began to do a little study on it and I looked it up in the Encyclopedia Britannica, and I tried my best to read about it, and I tried my best to be serious about it, but it was so far out there, I didn't get very far. But let me tell you a story now, and I want you to believe this because it's true. Once upon a time, I took this beautiful Rolex watch, and I put it in a bag, and I whacked it with a hammer about three or four times. Bang, bang, bang. And then I took all the parts in the bag, threw them up in the air. And don't you know all them parts came back together in all of their uh, precision? And they, that watch came back into being. And it, it was perfect a perfect Rolex watch, just like it was when it was new. Believe that? I got a bridge I want to sell you, too. No, you would never believe anything like that. But you would have to be able to have that type of mentality to believe a lie like the Big Bang Theory. You would have to be able to believe the lie about that Rolex watch as well. And that's what the evolutionists expect us to believe with this beautiful universe that God created. Things are so much easier to understand when you believe God's word rather than a bunch of man's lies and theories. People think it takes a lot of faith to believe the Bible. And, and yes, it does take faith, because without faith, it's impossible to please God. It's through uh, faith and patience that we possess the promises of God. 
Yes, we need to have faith for the Bible, but not nearly as much faith as it would take to believe these Big Bang theories and these theories of evolution that we evolved from an ape. Someone once asked me, they said, do you believe in that fairy tale about the whale swallowing Jonah and him living for three days and nights in his belly? And this person was trying to intimidate me, trying to make me think I was stupid for believing something like that. I said, absolutely. I believe every word of it. As a matter of fact, if the Bible said that Jonah swallowed a whale and the whale lived in Jonah's belly for three days and nights, I'd believe it. And then he asked me, how could you believe something like that? I said, it's not a matter of believing what was said as much as it is a matter of believing who said it. And because God said it, I would believe it no matter how far-fetched it seems to the carnal little finite peanut brain that people are trying to figure out God with. Sometimes you just have to take God as his word and not try to figure it out and get some, build some logic in it or find out, you know, well, how could that work? How, how could they swap? Well, first of all, God said that he prepared a whale or he prepared a great fish. Uh, we don't even know if it was a whale, but he prepared a great fish. So that tells me right there, he could have put three bedrooms and a bath in that fish's belly. That fish was prepared to swallow Jonah. That fish was prepared to sustain Jonah in its belly for three days and three nights. So yes, I do believe that. And I believe everything else is in the Bible. Numbers 23:19 says, God is not a man that he should lie, neither the son of man that he should repent or take back something that he said, or regret something that he did. Hath he said, and shall he not do it? Hath he spoken, and shall he not make it good? God is not a man that he should lie. If God ever told a lie, he would cease to exist as God. He would no longer be qualified to be called God. But let's look at the truth about some of these things. Hebrews 11.3 says, By faith... We understand that the worlds during the suggest successive ages were framed, fashioned, put in order, and equipped for their intended purpose by the word of God, so that what we see was not made out of things which are visible. So it's by faith that we understand these things. I may read about the creation and not understand one word that I read, not understand how it's possible, how it could have been done, where's the logic in this, it just doesn't compute. That's not my job. My job is to, by faith, to believe what the, the word of God says. It's by faith that we believe God spoke the worlds into existence along with everything that's in them, on them, and around them. There's your Big Bang theory. God spoke and bang, there it was. Isaiah 45, 18 and 19 says this in the New Living Translation. For the Lord is God and he created the heavens and earth and put everything in place, period. I don't care what anybody says or what their logic is or what they think. I know what I just read. The Lord is God. And because he's God, he is able to create not only the heavens and the earth, but everything that's on it. He made the world to be lived in, not to be a place of empty chaos. I am the Lord, he says, and there is no other. 
Verse 19, I publicly proclaim bold promises. I do not whisper obscurities in some dark corner. I would not have told the people of Israel to seek me if I could not be found. I, the Lord, speak only what is true and declare only what is right. In other words, when you read the word of God, you won't find one theory in the word of God. Everything he spoke is true and right every time, all the time. Genesis 124, let's go back there a minute. Genesis 124 and 25. Again, I'll be reading in the Amplified Classified uh, Translation. Verse 24, and God said, let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds. See, all God has to do is speak. He has so much faith that whatever he speaks just comes into existence. He said, livestock, creeping things, and wild beasts of the earth according to their kinds, and it was so. And then verse 25, it says, and God made the wild beasts of the earth according to their kinds, and domestic animals according to their kinds, and everything that creeps upon the earth according to its kind, and God saw that it was good, fitting, pleasant, and he approved it. Who else would approve it? I mean, that's where you go for approval. There's nothing above him to get approved from. But there's our answer to what came first. When he said that he created everything that's in, on, around the earth, in the seas, he created every living creature, and I know for a fact that included the chickens and the roosters. So what came first, the chicken or the egg? Of course, the chicken came first because God said it on the fifth day of creation. He created that chicken. Amen. Now, let's find out why the chicken crossed the road. No, I'm just kidding on that. <laughs> he obviously crossed the road to get to the other side, but... Let's get back to our study on righteousness. The reason I told those stories and took that side journey is because I believe it would help us to better understand righteousness and what it took to get that righteousness for us. But anyway, God created us perfect. And because we were perfect and complete, we were able to fellowship with him in the garden during the cool part of the day. But the real reason that we were able to, to fellowship with God is because we were created in righteousness. We were created in right standing with him. And like Pastor Flint said last Wednesday night, and he's going to continue that teaching on the realm of the spirit tonight. If I were you, I'd tune into it. It was really good, and it's going to get better from here, I'm sure. But like he said last Wednesday night, when God breathed his spirit into us, we became a living soul, which was in perfect harmony and complete union with God in every sense, spirit, soul, and body. So in other words, we were just like God, except we weren't as smart as God. We weren't omniscient, omnipresent, or omnipotent. We didn't have God's attributes, but we were just like God in every way. So we were his image and likeness with the ability to fellowship with him. As a matter of fact, we were created for the purpose of fellowship. God's a family man, and he wants a big family, and that's what he's gathering together right now. And there was only one thing that could separate us from him, and that was sin. See, God is so holy, he could never fellowship with sin or anybody that has anything to do with sin. 
Before sin came into the world, Adam was able to walk with God and talk with God, fellowship with God face to face in the garden every day. He didn't know anything about sin, guilt, shame, none of that stuff. That all came from the knowledge of the tree of good and evil. He had no knowledge of evil. He had knowledge of good, but he never had any knowledge of evil until he partook of that fruit and he disobeyed God's commandment not to eat that fruit. But when Adam and Eve sinned, they hid themselves, if you remember, in the garden because they realized they were naked. And one of the first questions God asked him, how do you know you're naked? But, and the reason he asked that is because they were always naked. And uh, I mean, but why all of a sudden did they notice it now? Because they never seen their nakedness before. Even though they were always naked, they were clothed in the glory of God. It was like a cloud engulfed them all the time, everywhere they went. Being naked was never an issue. And when God came down to walk with them in the cool of the day, I believe as they were walking through that garden, it was nothing but a big glory cloud, a big bright light and full of glory and full of a glory cloud. And that cloud would come down with God and it would intermingle with Adam and Eve's cloud and they would walk together in unity and harmony through the garden, man to man, woman to man, spirit to spirit. But sin removed that glory cloud. When Adam and Eve sinned, the glory of God lifted off of them. And they were naked and they knew it. Let's look at 1 Corinthians 15, 45. Paul is writing to the Corinthian church and he says, Thus it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being, an individual personality. The last Adam, Christ, became a life-giving spirit, restoring the dead to life. What Adam lost in the fall, Christ regained. Verse 46, but it is not the spiritual life which came first, but the physical, then the spiritual. The first man was from out of the earth, made of dust, earthly minded. The second man is the Lord from out of heaven. Now those who were made of the dust are like him who was first made of the dust, early, earthly minded. And as is the man from heaven, so also are those who are of heavenly, are of heaven, heavenly minded. And just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, so shall we and so let us also bear the image of the man of heaven, Christ Jesus. In other words, the second Adam, Jesus Christ, restored everything the first Adam gave to the devil. Jesus bought it back. Jesus redeemed it. And then it says, the main thing being our right standing with God, our righteousness. That was the first thing he had to purchase back. He had to get our righteousness back to restore our fellowship, harmony, and union with the Spirit of God. The Bible tells us plainly, and I read these last week, we are complete in him right now, present tense, which is the head of of all principality and power, Colossians 2.10. Romans 8.37 says, We are more than conquerors through him that loved us. When? Right now we're conquerors, present tense. 
not in the sweet by and by, not when we get to heaven, not in old Beulah land. We're more than conquerors right here on earth. Philippians 4.13 promises, I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. When will I be able to do all these things? Right now, present tense. And then Romans 8.1 declares, There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. When are we to live without condemnation? When we get to heaven? No, I need to live condemn, con uh, condemnation free right now, right here on earth, so that I can be all I can be for God. Right now, present tense. And then finally, Romans 5.1 says, Therefore, being justified, uh, justified means like just as if I never sinned, therefore being justified as if I never sinned, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. When? Now. I need peace now in this tumultuous times that we're living in. I need peace with this coronavirus pandemic. I need peace with the challenges of life. I need peace in my financial uh, situations. I need peace now. I need it here. Present tense. Our righteousness was restored by Jesus Christ, the second Adam. He restored that righteousness that Adam lost. Romans 5.17 says, For the sin of this one man, Adam, the first Adam, caused death to rule over many. But even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of righteousness. For all who receive it will live in triumph over sin and death through this one man, Jesus Christ, the second Adam. And then 1 Corinthians 1.30 tells us, God has united you, there's that union again, with Christ Jesus for our benefit. God made him to be wisdom itself. Christ made us right or righteous with God. He made us pure and holy. He freed us from sin. You may not be completely free of sin as far as your life is going. You may still be dabbling in a little sin here and a little sin there, but God ain't talking about that sin. He's talking about the sin of unrighteousness and the sin of the original, the original sin and the fall of man. God, uh, Jesus has removed that from us. He put us back in the right standing with God. He made us righteous again so that we could have that fellowship, that unity, and that communion with God. I believe that what the scripture says about us is absolutely true. There's no theories here. If God said it, I believe it, that settles it. If he says I'm the righteousness of God in Christ, then the first thing I want to make sure is that I'm in Christ, and I am. That happened at the new birth. So because I'm in Christ, I become the righteousness of God in Christ. Hallelujah. And I'm convinced that we're partakers of the divine nature. I mean, if... if if we fell when Adam fell, and we sinned when Adam sinned, and, and we received the penalty that Adam received, then it's only fair that when Christ reversed that, we receive everything that Christ gained for us. Amen. So, you know, I'm convinced that we're partakers of the divine nature of God right now, and there's no condemnation to us who walk in the light as he is in the light. John 1 John 1 7. What's the point of us being born again if we still carry the nature of sinful man, the sin nature rather than the divine nature? The sin nature that came uh, first from Adam, the first Adam, it came from him, 
in the fall. I mean, why did we have to carry that until we discovered Jesus Christ and we uh, were born again? And once we're born again, it says in 1 Corinthians 5, 7, old things have passed away. The old nature has passed away. Behold, all things have become new. We've taken on a new nature, the nature of our Heavenly Father, the divine nature. We've taken that on when we became born again. Why is that so hard to believe when we believed all these years that we were a sinner uh, headed to hell and destined for death? Well, now I'm headed to heaven and destined for life. Hallelujah. You know, restoring us to righteousness was no easy task. How was God able to reconcile fallen man to himself? How could he make us righteous again and restore us back to that perfect fellowship that we had in the garden? The only way this could possibly be done is through a perfect, sinless, spotless sacrifice. One that could pay the wages of sin because sin had to be eliminated uh, in order to restore man to the place that he was in the garden. It was sin that separated us from God, so that sin had to be dealt with so that we could have restoration with God. And there was only one person that could meet those qualifications. It could only be done by God's own son, Jesus Christ, who represented all of mankind exactly like the first uh, Adam represented all of mankind. God's son would have to take our place as our substitute and die in our place. Take the penalty that we had coming because we're the ones that sinned. He never sinned. He was perfect. And at the same time, he'd have to meet every demand of a righteous God, every demand of God's justice, while at the same time going down to the level of lost man. Christ became flesh. He came and dwelt among us. He suffered everything that we suffered. He had every experience that mankind would ever experience. He knew what it was like to be hungry, thirsty, hot, cold, uh, in danger, in perils. He knew every temptation that there was. He was just like us. And because he was just like us, suffered the things that we suffered, he can sympathize with us. He can understand us. He knows what's going on in us. He knows what's going through us. He can do that because he did it. And so at the same time, he meet every demand of God's justice. And, and that wasn't easy to do. I, I mean, we could never meet the demands of God's justice. We, no matter how hard we try, we will all always fall short of his perfect standard. We will always fall short of his glory. We will always miss the mark uh, because we have a sin nature that was working in us before the new birth that keeps on coming back and keeps on tempting us to go back to where we came from. And we constantly have to resist that. And besides that, we would have to be perfect. Uh, and that's exactly what Jesus did. That's he, after he met every condition, the Bible says he was justified in spirit. When Jesus was declared righteous, justified, and made alive, then he was restored to perfect fellowship with the Father, and we were restored with him at the same time because he did it in our place and as our substitute. You know, the Bible teaches us that because of Adam's sin, we all fell. I mean, because of what Adam did, we all suffered the same thing. When Adam sinned, we sinned. 
When Adam was cast out of the garden, we were cast out of the garden. So why would it be hard for us to believe that when Christ died, we died with him? When Christ was buried, we were buried with him. And when he rose again, we rose with him. Hallelujah. We were as much in Christ as we were in the first Adam. But we have a hard time accepting that. It's hard for us to believe that we're the righteousness of God in Christ. But if we understand it wasn't because of anything that we did, it was because of everything that he did. And he gave us that righteousness as a free gift. I'm righteous. I know it even sounds prideful to say something like that. But if he said, I'm the righteousness of God in Christ, I'm the righteousness of God in Christ. You're the righteousness of God in Christ. God said it. I believe it. That settles it. And after he was restored to perfect fellowship with the Father, he entered into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God, which in the Bible means the place of favor. Hallelujah. He sat down at the right hand of God as though he had never sinned or made sin or was never, had never become sin with our sin. And when he sat down on the right hand of the Father, we sat down with him. Hallelujah. The Bible says in Ephesians 2, 5, and 6 that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace that you have been saved. And verse 6 says, For he raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him, where? In the heavenly realms, in heavenly places, because we are united with Jesus Christ. When Christ sat down at the right hand of the Father, we sat down at the right hand of the Father. One preacher had this illustration. He says, if you really believe you're seated in heavenly places with Christ, then why do you look up when you pray? Shouldn't you be looking across? If you're at the right hand of God when you pray, shouldn't you be looking to the left and praying to God himself through the one you're sitting there with, Jesus Christ? I know it's, it's, it's a funny illustration, but think about it a minute. If we're seated in heavenly places with Christ, why do we look up? <laughs> Hallelujah. But on these grounds, man was reconciled to God, which means we were restored, reunited, brought back together, brought back into that perfect harmony that Pastor Flint was talking about when God first breathed his spirit into us at the creation. We're back in right standing with God. And because of that, we've been restored to fellowship. And just like the first Adam, we can walk and talk with God and stand in his presence just like Adam did before he sinned. It's as though we've never sinned. And we never look naked before God because we're not only clothed in his glory, but we're clothed in the blood of his son, a robe of righteousness. And it's covered in the blood of his son. And when God looks at us, he sees his son's blood. He sees his son's sacrifice. He don't see us or our sin. He sees the Christ that's in us and the Christ that we're in. But our standing with God is on the ground of faith in Jesus Christ. In other words, if you don't have faith in Christ, you can't have faith in the gift of righteousness. Uh, in other words, God laid upon Jesus our iniquities, our sins. He hath made him to be sin for us, 2 Corinthians 5.21 tells us. And Jesus was more than a sin offering. He was made unrighteous with our unrighteousness. He was made a sin substitute bearing our sins. He descended into the place 
of suffering after he left his body and he stayed in the bowels of hell just like Jonah for three days and three nights until he wrought complete victory over death, hell, and the grave. And he took our place in that prison to which sinners are sentenced and he suffered until every charge against us was, had been met and dismissed. Hallelujah. Thus we have the two kinds of righteousness. First, God declares us to be righteous and second, we are made new creations. So through the new birth, we have become partakers of the divine nature, Peter tells us, so that we are righteous by nature and righteous by faith. Now we can understand what Paul meant when he said, he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin. Why? That we might be made the righteousness of God in him. So having been declared righteous, having had this broken fellowship restored, we can now enjoy the peace of God which passeth all understanding. Now we can stand in God's presence without any consciousness of sin and without any fear, guilt, or shame. Why? Because Jesus already bore those things for us in our place. We don't have to bear them anymore. If I carry your groceries into the house, that tells me that you don't have to carry them into the house. You don't have to bear those groceries. Why? I already bear, bore them for you. I already carried them into the house. Well, that's what Jesus did with our sin and our iniquities. He bore them for us. He carried them to the cross himself. We don't have to bear them anymore. Hallelujah. So as a result, we can feel a new sense of freedom in Christ. Not a freedom to sin, but a freedom from sin. And now that we know who we are in Christ, we no longer have to be slaves to sin. We can have victory over sin. We become acutely aware that greater is he that is in me, the Holy Ghost, than he, the devil, that's in the world. Hallelujah. Adam and Eve hid from God because they were conscious of their sin. We hide from God because we're sin conscious. So we don't have to hide anymore because our sin consciousness has been replaced with a righteousness consciousness. Instead of me thinking about my sin, I should be thinking about my righteousness in Christ. Hallelujah. It's a new consciousness that will give us victory over all the things that used to hold us in bondage, all the things that used to hold us back. Why? Whom the Son has set free is free indeed. You should memorize that. Whom the Son has set free is free indeed. If you're in Christ and he's in you, you are free indeed. There's no condemnation for what you did, for what you're doing, for what you're about to do. Why? Because you've been made free. You're the righteousness of God in Christ. Again, I'm not telling you it's okay to sin. What I'm telling you is now you can have victory over that sin. You can overcome that sin. You can be more than a conqueror over that sin or that thing that has enslaved you. Hallelujah. We are the sons and daughters of Almighty God. We are partakers of his divine nature. We're members of his household. And we are as near to his heart as Jesus was when he walked the earth. We're as near to his heart as Adam was when he walked the earth with God in his glory. Hallelujah. We are who what God says we are. Just like that song Miss Shannon sang a couple weeks ago. We are who he says we are. We are what he says we are. I don't care what the world tells you or 
what your parents tell you you are or who your co-workers tell you who you are. I'm only concerned with what God who says, says you are. And he says you're the righteousness of God in Christ. Hallelujah. All we have to do is to believe it, receive it, because it's a gift. You have to receive a gift. If I, if I wanted to give you a gift and I held it out, what would you do? You'd have to reach out and receive it. That's how we have to do with the gifts of God. The gift of righteousness. Righteousness is a gift. God is presenting us with the gift of righteousness, but we have to believe that he is, and then we have to reach out by faith and take it unto us and start walking in the righteousness that God says we are. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, we praise you, we give you glory and honor. You're a wonderful God, a wonderful Savior. Thank you so much for your wonderful gifts. Thank you for your promises. We thank you for the gift of life. We thank you for the gift of salvation. We thank you for the gift of righteousness, the restoration that we so needed and so longed for all our life until we found Jesus and we learned that we're the righteousness of God in Christ. And now we can come boldly before your throne of grace. We have the unity and the harmony in the spirit because now our spirit is communicating with your spirit. Your spirit is communicating with our spirit, just like it was in the, the day that you knelt down in that clay and you breathed your spirit into Adam and he became a living soul. We are so connected with you right now that we can't even imagine it. Help us to see this revelation. Help us to understand who we are in you. And we'll thank you for it, God, and we'll appreciate it and we'll praise you for it till the day that we see Jesus face to face. We thank you, praise you for it in Jesus' name. Lord, I reach out to this Facebook audience. I reach out with your hand. I ask you to touch and heal everyone that has an ailment, everyone that's suffering with pain or suffering with sickness or disease. God, stretch forth your mighty hand to heal. I thank you for touching them right now, Lord. I ask that they'll receive it. I ask that they'll believe it. And I ask that they'll be, be, begin to walk in divine wholeness and divine health. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for tuning in tonight. Hit your share buttons and your like buttons if you like it and all of that other stuff. Hit all them little buttons down there. Make something happen. And uh, we'll see you this Sunday again. Uh, right after praise and worship, probably about 11 o'clock, 11.05, 10, depending on how long it goes. And we will bring the word to you again, just like we did last week. So God bless you. We love you and appreciate you. Have a great day, rest of the night. Be safe and be careful. This concludes this message. Thank you for listening. We pray that it's been a blessing to you. For more information about FFC or its ministries, please contact the church office. God bless you, and remember, Jesus is Lord.